This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Because we have a, a, a very short uh, constraint of time, um, I'm, I will ask you to uh, excuse me from having to um, recite uh, the various dala'il uh, which I will give uh, directly in Arabic because if I will um, uh, recite them in Arabic and then translate them into English and then also give uh, my admonition or my advice to you, uh, it will consume the time and uh, we will run into the time of the next lecture. So um, because of the constraints of the time, uh, most of us here, we do speak the Arabic language. I will give you the ayats from which I will be referring to. You can read them on your own, inshallah. And also you can go to the tafsir, which is uh, the tafsir of your choice. And you can see uh, and appreciate uh, and get some uh, further explanation on these, uh, these verses. Uh, but nevertheless, there are certain verses I'm going to recite and I'm going to deal specifically with certain words relative to the topic. The topic that, um, that we're speaking of today is the issue of change. Uh, change as it applies to the global condition of the Muslims. And as I understood it, uh, the previous speakers, they spoke about the change of the individual. 
uh, the, and uh, also the, the necessary changes that have to take place within the community. And so uh, what I'm going to be speaking of uh, essentially is the global change uh, leading Muslims to having a different level of presence than what they have today. I don't have to go far uh, to deal with this issue because verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he has already admonished us, He has already warned us, and He has already spoke about this here. And uh, I'm selecting uh, the, surah, the, the surah which is called Anfal. Uh, surah Al-Anfal is a very special surah which has a tremendous amount of medicine relative to the discipline, the organization, uh, uh, the, um, the rank, the file uh, of the Muslim, the characteristic of the Muslim Ummah uh, when they are under pressure, when they are under development. So especially uh, the ayats number 20 up to the ayats number 30. So these 10 ayats uh, is what I'm going to use basically to sort of expound upon the topic which I'm going to speak about. First of all, I'd, I'd like to begin uh, by mentioning uh, a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said, he said, the deen of Islam, it began as a stranger. It began as something strange. And it will also return. سَيَعُودُ لِغَرِيبًا It will return as a sh something strange. فَتُوبَ لِغُرَبَا فَتُوبَ لِغُرَبَا فَتُوبَ لِغُرَبَا So, glad tidings be to the strangers. And we see in the world today that in fact, this very short warning of the Prophet ﷺ, this prophecy of the Prophet ﷺ, it has come true. Islam has, in that time when it came, to those Arabs, although they spoke the Arabic language, they heard the Qur'an recited, and they were masters in poetry, and they thought they were also having good intelligence and distinction among people, and they had honor, and they had the loyalty, and they had other things. But when the Qur'an came, speaking about loyalty, when the Qur'an came speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the Qur'an came mentioning, calling to his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when the Qur'an came speaking about salah, when the Qur'an came speaking about zakah, when the Qur'an came using the same words they had been using, it came using it in a different way. And they could not understand. What is these strange words this man is saying? And although they knew Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they knew them, knew him like they knew their own sons. They knew him very well. But as a messenger and as a prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, they did not know him. When he began to speak as a messenger and a prophet, all of a sudden he became a stranger. When he began to recite the ayats of the Qur'an, all of a sudden the Arabic language became for them like very strange. When he starts speaking about Yawm Al-Qiyamah, it's very strange for them. About Malaika, very strange for them. So, also, when he called them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mentioned to them issues of taqwa, very strange to them. Obedience to Allah and His Messenger وسلم, very strange to them. Giving up the worshipping 
of their idols, the asnam, the tawaqit, calling them to tawheed, it became also for them very strange. And so we see that among those people who we would think in their own familiar surroundings, in their own familiar language, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He brought something, He brought a person to them, speaking to them, and brought something to them in their own language, but it was strange. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls people to respond to Him. Most of them, poor people. Most of them, young people. This is very strange, that the poor people come around Him, and He's walking in the streets, talking to them, not walking and sitting with the notables. The elite among them, they are wondering, why is he calling the poor people? Why is he sitting with the young people? Why is he sitting with those people? Why he don't continue to sit with us and we have the station, we have uh, prestige, we have power, we have the influence. We are the, uh, the notables from the Quraysh, he should sit with us. No. And why is he walking in the street like a common man if he say he's a prophet? So very strange. So the Prophet said, this deen began as something strange, and it will return as something strange. So look at our condition today. The Arabs, they form 20% of the Muslim population in the world today. 20% of the world today is Arabs. How many Muslims in the world? 1.5 billion. So how many Arabs? 300 million. But most of the Arabs themselves, they don't know the Quran at all. It's their language. They, their sons, their daughters. Take whatever Arabs you like. From the east, from the west, from the gulf, from this place, North Africa, West Africa, find them wherever they are. Most of them, they don't know the Quran at all. So the language means nothing at all without Iman. The language means nothing without Al-Wala wal-Bara to the Prophet and to the Quran. Nothing. Then the rest of the Muslims, the 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, the Arabic language, the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet when they hear Sunnah, they don't know what it means. They think Sunnah means some dress you wear, some itar, just to eat with the right hand, to step in the bathroom with the left foot. They think this is just the Sunnah. So the Sunnah has become strange to the Muslims, even though there are 1.2 billion other than the ones who are Arabs. <clears throat> and most of the Muslims believe that Islam is the masjid. Because when, what, when do they practice Islam? When do the Muslims practice Islam? In the masjid. We all become uh, knowledgeable. We all become uh, very religious. We all become very strict. We all become very demanding. We all become very religious. We become all of a sudden very aware. We know who should be the leader. We know who should be the speaker when we come to the mosque. But when we leave the mosque, all of a sudden, we don't know who should be the leader. All of a sudden, we don't know how we should practice our Islam, where we should practice it. On the job, we don't know. In the morning, when we wake up, we don't know what we should do. We're not religious all of a sudden. 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, when the alarm goes off, when the adhan is being called in the masjid, all of a sudden, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. 
Why? Because the deen has become for all of us strange. It is not strange in the name Muslim, Islam, Quran, Muhammad wasallam. It's not strange. Everyone, all Muslims will say what you believe. Most of them will say Quran, Sunnah, except those who is clearly deviant. Those who is clearly deviant, they will say something else. But the majority of the Muslims, if you say what you believe, he say Quran and Sunnah. If you ask him to identify Quran, they don't know. So what the hell can they follow something they don't know? It's like a man who never even met his mother. He was separated from his mother when he was a year old. He never met her. So she's walking down the street. And someone says, your mother is coming down the street. And there's 25 women coming down the street. Will he know her? He cannot know her. And maybe she will not even know him. So Islam has become for most of us like we have been separated from our mother at birth. So Islam is coming. The, 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 the ulama and the fuqaha is telling us, the, the khatib is telling us every Jum'ah, but we are hearing it something strange. So it has returned also for the Muslims as a stranger. And for the non-Muslims, even more strange. Even more strange than it was when the non-Muslims, they heard the Quran that time, it is even more strange today. Why? Because they're hearing it across the entire world. In the time of the Prophet Sallallahu it was only the people of the Quraysh, only the people of Jazirat al-Arabiyya, only the people of that Jazira. They were hearing it in the beginning. Now today, the Quran can be recited on the internet. The Quran can be recited from the satellite. And the Quran can be recited, and at one time, five billion people can hear the Quran at one time. And this is why the punishment comes on the earth as it does, because when five million people, five billion people reject, the, the rejection of them, the, 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 the punishment of them is going to be greater than if only 5,000 reject. And also the punishment on the Muslims is also greater, because we have been Muslims now for how long? Most of the people in this room is born Muslims. And some of you have just recently come back to Islam. You're just like new Muslims, some of you. Don't lie, you know it. Many of the, many of the Muslims in this room, you are newly practicing Muslims. You lost it. You lost your keys someplace, and your house is sitting empty. For years, your house sitting empty. No one is there because you cannot find the keys. And subhanAllah, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, someone came and gave you the keys. You said, subhanAllah. You went back to your house, everything is dusty. You start cleaning it, and now your house has been reclaimed. Like the man, it comes in hadith, like the man. He was on a journey. And he stopped for a moment to pray and to get something to drink and to sleep. He fell asleep. When he got up, his camel is gone. He's in the desert. If he don't find his camel, he's going to die. He's running every place looking for his camel. He cannot find it. So he sit down after a while. He's exhausted. He thinks to himself, what will happen? I will die. And while he's there, the camel comes and hit him. Just touch him like that. He's so happy. He's so happy when he sees the camel. He says to the camel, he said to the camel, you are my Lord, and I am your servant. How he, he speaks to Allah. I am your, I am your, uh, you, uh, Allah, you are my servant, and I, I am your Lord. He's confused. 
because he's so happy. And we Muslims, we are also confused because we are so happy to have this rediscovered Islam. Now it is at this point that you and I need to begin to understand. Now that most of us that are sitting here have rediscovered Islam, what was strange to us is no longer strange to us. We are starting to understand Islam now. So the Prophet said, Fatuba li ghurabah. So glad tidings to all of us. I'm a new Muslim. You are newly practicing Muslims, most of you, alhamdulillah. Now some of you I know as muttaqeen, you will say, what do you mean? I'm not no newly practicing Muslim. Then you are awwaleen then. Good. You should be leading all of us. So what has happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, He gives us some points of how we can take control of ourselves, take control of our families, take control of our communities, take control of the areas that we live in, take control even of the lands that we live in, and take control of the earth which we had before. He gives us the formula. So let's proceed. He says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا استجيبوا لله وللرسول استجيبوا All you who believe give your response to Allah and His Messenger when He calls you to that which gives you life Here response means obedience Response When you hear, you obey when you know, you do. When you are ordered, you respond. Who is the order? From Allah. From His Messenger وسلم, and those charged with authority among you. So what is our condition as Muslims? Number one, we are not obedient. We are rebellious people. Yeah, yeah, we are rebellious people. What does this mean? You say, you obey Allah, you obey the Prophet but if someone is chosen in authority over you, if he's not a king, if he's not a ruler, if he's not a tyrant, you don't obey. Muslims, they don't obey. Everyone is saying, Saddam is his, his, uh, his uh, dhalim. Yes, he was. But they were obedient to him, wasn't they? <laughs> you see? He's dhalim, and he will pay for that. If he doesn't make tawbah before he dies, he will pay. And he will pay if he is judged. But those people, because he forced them, they did not give any choice. For how long in Iraq? He was ruling them with his hands like that. A man, a man whom they found in a hole like a fox, like a dog, with a bag of money, disoriented. He was ruling them for how many years? Just one man. Why? Because... When a ruler is able to rule, whether he is Adil or Dhalim, they respond. Our problem right now, Muslims, is that we have no ruler. You and I, we have no ruler. Because if I said, the brother he just said, those of you who is on the side, against the wall of the mosque, what did he say? He said, come off the wall. But you don't have to come off the wall because who is he? <laughs> If the khatib told the people after the salah, stay, don't move, don't go out any of those doors. The people said, who is he? He's just the imam. 
and they begin queuing up to go out the door while the Imam is standing, isn't it? On the Eid, 15, 20,000 Muslims praying. After the Imam lead the Salah, and he's going to give the khutbah, what do the Muslims do after that? The women is talking, eating, the kids jumping up, they want to go get their gifts. The men is all walking around, everything, you cannot hear, hear the Imam, because he's not ruler. We Muslims, because we don't have a ruler, we are disobedient. Secondly, Allah says, Istajibu lillah. Respond. Say, stand, stand. Sit, sit. Stay, stay. Go, go. Give, give. Spin, spin. The Muslim, the, the, the masjid, alhamdulillah. How many Muslims is here? So I ask, at the Fajr prayer in the morning, what time you pray Fajr here? Quarter past five. So many Muslims, they're always talking about Khilafah, about Islamic State, Dawlat al-Islami, about Jihad, about Fiqh, about Aqeedah, about blah, blah, blah. So you know what I tell them? Oh, this is very good subjects, all of them. Very good questions, brother. MashaAllah, alhamdulillah. But listen to this. How about you meet me at Fajr and we talk after Fajr? <laughs> there are no questions is coming, you see. Why? Because all the people who's talking, they don't pray Fajr. They want to beat the Kafir. They want to fight Jihad. They want to do this, this and that, but they cannot beat the sheets. If you can't beat the sheets, you're not going to beat nobody. Because the deen begins upon the salah. Inna salata kanat ala al-mu'minina kitaban mawkuta. Before jihad, Allah ordered the salah on the Muslims, didn't he? And those who went into jihad with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, were they, were they, what were they? Were they muznib? Was they criminal fasiq? Was they people who stayed behind from the salah? No, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, and the companions they told us we considered any man it was a clear evidence for any man to be as a fasiq among us that he prayed inside his house the fajr and the isha prayer so how many of us fall in the category do you don't have to raise your hand i'm not asking you and so the women who have husbands who stay in the bed with them in the morning they also fasiq also because if they are also good women, fearing Allah women, they will pull the covers off the man and they will argue with him until he leaves the house and go pray because then they will have a proof and a power when he comes back from the masjid. So usually Allah gives the men the kind of women which they deserve. O Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentioned to us in the same surah, He says, O oh, you who believe, answer Allah and His Messenger وسلم, when He calls you to that which gives you life. And know that Allah comes in between a person in His heart. What it means? Between you and your desire. Said the Prophet وسلم, said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يكون حواه تبعا لما جئت به. None of you can become a true believer until what? Your hawa, your desires, your opinion, your feeling is in accordance with what I have brought. 
So that means any one of us, before you have desire, before you get your own opinion, your own idea, what you say you think, so and so, go back and see what Allah and His Messenger Salaam, said, then bring it into accordance with that. And when somebody asks you your opinion, don't give it until you think about what Allah and His Messenger Salaam, said. And then what happened? Most of us, we cannot talk. Because we don't know what Allah and His Messenger Salaam, said. If we made that rule, nobody can talk, nobody can give his opinion, nobody can give his idea. Nobody can give his desire. Nobody can move forward unless he says, Allah wa Rasuluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah said, the Prophet said, so how many people then can talk? Maybe in this room, maybe 15, 20. Then everyone is quiet. And if we want to know who should be the leader here in this room, very easy. We start off by saying, who knows the whole Quran? Okay, maybe 10 names, 10, 10 go up. Who knows the most sunnah? Hadith, Sahih Bukhari, Muslim, so so and so. So many hands go up. Okay, bring those brothers into another room. From there we'll choose the leader. Isn't it easy? You can say, no, why should you choose him? There's some brothers here who have better fiqh. Some brothers here, he have better this, he have better that. But what the Prophet said, choose your imams, choose your leaders from whom? Those who have the best knowledge of the Quran. Is it correct or not? Is it? After that, if they are equal, then he said what? Knowledge of the Sunnah, is it? Is that what he said? And if they are equal in that, then what? Those who made the Hijrah first, or those who's the oldest first? So we can choose from this room right here, who should be the leader? Who should be prospectively the supporters of the leader? But that is not the way the Muslims they want. The Arabs they want Arab. Pakistani want Pakistani. Bengali, he want Bengali. Somali want Somali. You see, everybody he want kulu farihun. And if the, our leader is not there, what we'll do? We go down the street and we start our own masjid. I go across town, we start our own masjid. And when somebody say, why you did that? Well, that imam, you know, he's not on our madhab. This blah, blah, so and so. But in reality, their desire was that they did not want to follow someone other than themselves. And then when they establish their own little places, a year later, five years later, ten years later, what you find? Even those imams, those leaders, they don't want to even meet together to see which one of them have the most Qur'an. Because if they meet together to see who have the most Qur'an, inevitably those imams will wind up doing what? Following one of them, but they don't want to do that. So how many masjids you have in London? How many masjids is in London? 300, 400. How many, how many times they meet in the year? Those imams, do they meet once a year? Do they meet twice a year? Subhanallah. There you see the condition of the Muslims today. Same in the world. But when the Muslims have a ruler, if he's a tyrant, what do they do? Do they obey him? Do they pay zakah? Do they pay some other tax he ordered them? Do he sit down? Do he take their passport and tell them where to go, what to not? They do. Oh, Muslims. You see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then He said to us, He says, وَلْتَكُمْ fitna," And fear fitna. What kind of fitna He's speaking about here? Corruption and disturbance. We Muslims, we know some Muslims, we didn't say all what the people say. We don't say what the CNN said. We don't say what George Bush said or Tony Blair said. We didn't forget that. But we Muslims know that there are Muslims in the world who themselves creating fitna for other Muslims. Doing things with the Prophet never did under any circumstances. They're doing. 
And they justify what? They say because we are oppressed. They are not more oppressed than the Prophet was oppressed. They are not done, nothing done to them more than what was done to the Prophet The Messenger of Allah he was oppressed. And the companions used to come to him saying, Ya Rasulullah We can fight them. We can stop them. Why we can't do that? The Prophet said, you have to be patient. We did not receive any order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do what you say. Why are you people so impatient? There were people who came before you. They were put into the hole up to their necks and their, and their heads were sawed in half. They were put inside a ditch and the hot cone pulled their body apart. But they never, they were crucified, but they never acted like you. Are we like that? No. The first time somebody do something to us, spit in our face or do something or break our window or kill us or do this or that, we want to kill the whole family. Not only that, we don't care about the family. We just want to blow up the bus, blow up the plane, blow up whatever, and we don't care who's there. Even Muslim is there, we blow it up. And the Muslims say, Allahu Akbar! SubhanAllah! So we ourselves, we are supporting fitna. Wallah, Allah knows where the Mujahid is at. He knows who is the Mujahideen. وَمَا يَعْلَمُ جُنُودَ رَبِّهِ إِلَّهُ Allah, He knows where His armies are. And he knows who's fighting for his cause. And if his armies are all over the earth, whether they are birds, whether they are men, wherever they are, if they're fighting for his cause, killing the kuffar and abandoning them and pressing them and purging them, they are the army of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no doubt. But even in jihad, there are rules, isn't it? We Muslims are not like the kuffar. The kuffar, when they fight, no rules. The Muslims, we have rules, isn't it? Go to Babel Jihad. Go to Babel Jihad and see the rules. But the Muslims, they want to fight. They want to kill. They want to this, they want to that. But they don't want to go to Babel Jihad and fight according to the what? They don't want to follow the... They don't want to follow the ethics, the behavior of Jihad. They want the results, but they don't want to follow the discipline. They want to fight, they want to free, they want to liberate, but they don't want to be patient. Huh? They don't want to earn it. And then when they fight, and when they kill, and when they maim, or when they whatever, they're not doing it according to the manner of the Prophet they go to excess. So Allah says, وَلْتَكُونْ fitna." And fear, corruption and disturbance, that does not only affect those of you in particular who do the wrong. Did you understand the ayah? Because when some Muslim do something and we don't, Amr bin Ma'roof, al-Munkar, we don't hold their hands, we don't speak out of God, we don't say that's not right. Even though they justified it by something which was right. They justified it by something which is right. But the way in which they did it was wrong. If they did something which is wrong, even though they did it against something which was right, what is it then? Do two wrongs make a right ever in Islam? Does it Muslims? Never, never, ever. We have to fear fitna and disturbance. Well, there's drugs in our neighborhood. If there's drugs in our neighborhood, farahish in our neighborhood, nakedness in the neighborhood, gambling in the neighborhood, forced marriage in the neighborhood, halal. The people have made what is haram, halal. No Muslim man, no Muslim father, he can force his daughter to marry anybody. 
unless she is what? Minor. If she is a minor, she is 12, she is 13, she is 14, he can marry her to someone. And later on, when she becomes major, that means an adult, right? Mature, what can she do? She can abrogate that, that, that marriage. This is proof that the father, he cannot force his daughter to marry who he wants because that's his cousin, that's his uncle, that's his family, that's his tribe. Haram! But when it's done, the Muslims of that tribe, of that group, the imam of that group and that tribe, they say nothing against the sanctity of that woman. And we Muslims, we do that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told you and I, until we stop the fitna and the disturbance, which doesn't affect those of us, just in particular, who do the wrong, then the corruption will, will come through all of our doors and all of our houses. And when the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes, who do you think it will touch? Every one of us. Because we fail to do what? Enjoin the right and forbid the wrong. O Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, O you who believe, Ya ayyuha alladheena amanu la takhunu Allah wa rasul wa la takhunu amanatikum So where is our loyalty brothers Where is our loyalty Allah says do not betray Allah and do not betray his messenger Allah says what does it betrayal mean First of all you betray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you don't pray That's number 1 Because you go to your boss in in the morning when it's time for your work what do you do you show up on time isn't it You punch the clock you stay there all day. Every whatever he tells you to do, you do. And if he doesn't allow you to make Jumu'ah Salah, and he tells you, Abdullah, you cannot make Friday prayer, otherwise we fire you, you stay. Abdullah, don't pray on the job here. You pray when you get home. You don't pray. Abdullah, you sit right down here next to Nancy, and you sit down right, right here next to Barbara, and next to Judy. You sit right there, Abdullah, because that's your job. You sit. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders you what to do, when the Prophet has ordered you what to do, what to say, what to eat, where to live, what to this, how to cast your glance, that so and so, you don't do. And when he tells you to spend, you don't spend. Every Muslim in the UK, they have to do census, isn't it? Isn't it? If you don't do census, you don't participate in the census, what happens? Thousand pound fine. Huh? Thousand pound fine or you can go to jail, isn't it? So you all participate. But if the imams of the masjid told all the Muslims, every Muslim must take census so that we can see what the, what the resources are. So we know exactly what everybody is, because we, so we know who should pay zakat. We know who has car. We know who has house. We know who is alim. We know who is this, who is that. Every Muslim must give census to the Imam of the Masjid. If the Imam said that, right here, if Imam, Imam Sheikh Suhaib told every Muslim here, maybe all of you will go to another mosque. <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't have the power to force you to pay a thousand pounds. He doesn't have the power to put you in the jail. He doesn't have the power to tell you to do, even though it is for your own benefit. We don't do it. O Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told you and I, He said, and know that your possessions and your children are a trial, a fitna. Your possessions and your, your children and your, your, what you own is a fitna, although you love it. It's your house, your children, your job, your money, your wives, your husbands is a fitna. Meaning they are halal for you. 
But because they occupy your time and keep you back from striving in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just because you want to be with them, just because you want for them, just because they are own, you own them or you have that, it preoccupies your time. So what has happened to us? They have become for us as a what? Even though it is halal, what has become? A fitna. Also, look what has happened. Muslims, let me give you a statistic that you should know about. Did you know that the 1.5 million Muslims in the UK, did you know that 180,000 of them, 180,000 of them are young people who don't pray? And drink alcohol. And smoke weed. And go to the clubs. And play the lottery. And fool around with girls and boys. Muslims, who are they? And sell drugs in the street. Go to Bradford. Muslims, selling drugs. Muslims, pimping their sisters. Go to the city council, they have the statistics right there in Bradford. They said that Bradford is the drug capital of the UK. And who's having the drugs? Who's selling the drugs? Muslims! 80% of the drugs that sold? Muslims! 80% of the alcohol sold in the UK is sold by who? Muslims! But we do nothing about it. So, O oh Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, you believe, if you obey and fear Allah, He will grant you a furqan and a makhraj. Huh, look at this. If we obey Allah and His Messenger, He will give us a what? Furqan. What does this mean, Furqan? Furqan means a criterion, something to judge by, something to determine. You see, a barrier, something that everyone will see who you are, they will judge who you are, they will determine your dignity, your honor, your power, your identity. The Furqan. Allah will give that to us. But today, do the Muslims have the Furqan? No, we don't have it. Makhraj. It means a way out of the fitna, a way out of the disaster, a way out of the oppression, a way out of the confusion, a way out of the poverty, a way out. But it's dependent upon what? Obedience, discipline, order, respect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, and remember when the disbelievers plotted against you, to imprison you, to kill you, or to get you out of your home. Subhanallah. Where we came from, Muslims? Where Muslims came from here? Kosovo? Bosnia? Herzegovina? Somalia? Palestine? Eritrea? Sudan? Algeria? Morocco? Syria? Jordan? West Africa? All the Muslims come from the places where they were imprisoned, killed, driven from their homes either by the Kafirs or by the oppressive rulers. Huh, isn't it? And you were pushed into places like you are right now. America or Great Britain. The same devils who entered your homes and who, who supported the oppressive tyrants to do what they did to you who raped your women, 
who violated your homes, they pushed you into their own backyard. After that, they give you a passport. They give you asylum. You say, Abdul, we know you're running from the tyrant. You're you running from your country. We will give you asylum. Just come here. Yalla. And when you get here, we give you everything you need. Give you council house. Huh? We give you, uh, what you call it? Uh, NHS? Income support. Income support. Give you food. We bring the food right to your face. Eat from our hands, Abdullah. We deliver your children for you, Abdullah. We build your masjid for you, Abdullah. We give you everything you want, Abdullah. But Abdullah, listen, don't start no problems here. <laughs> it, he don't mean don't be Muslim. It's okay, Muslim. Abdullah, be Muslim. But don't be that kind of Muslim, what it like is saying the Quran. Don't be the kind of Muslim that Muhammad said about Abdullah. Don't forget, I don't want to give you safety. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu waliyu ladina amanu. يُخْرِجُهُمْ مَنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَوْلِيَاؤُهُمْ طَاغُوتِ يُخْرِجُونَهُمْ مِنَ النُّورِ إِلَى الظُّلُمَاتِ أُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ Allah is the wali of those who believe. So those who say they believe, who have taken the kuffar as a wali. So the curse of Allah is on them. Allah will never bless a people who chose someone else to be their wali while they are pretending to be believers. So, oh Muslims, one of the things you and I have to do, we have to get to the point, if we are weak, if we are really weak, we are oppressed, and we need safety, and we need some help. That's okay for six months. It's okay for a year. But subhanAllah, how a Muslim come to this country or come to America for safety, for stability, for asylum, for whatever. And he's here five years, he's here ten years, now he has five children, ten children. They have grown up. He's still in the council house. He's still eating from their hands. He's still seeking asylum from them. And he does not want to go back to his home at all, even though the home, everything, there's no more civil war there. SubhanAllah. The country has returned back to normal. And he denied Abdullah, he ain't going back there. Maybe he will go back there with his children so they can visit his, their grandchildren, their grandparents. But in, in two weeks, three weeks, Abdullah coming back for the job and to kick, uh, collect his check. This is why Muslims, we are not going to change our condition because Allah does not change the condition until what? The people change the condition in their own hearts. What does it mean your own hearts? You change. When your children and your wife see, they will change. When the neighbor sees how they change and you change, the neighbors may change. And if we're able to change our neighbors, we may change our communities. And if we're able to change our communities, we may be able to change the society. And if we change the society, and this society becomes a people that even just respect Islam. They don't have to become Muslims. 
just a society that respects Islam, it may become a dominant society because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them dominance just because they respect Islam and because the Muslims who's in that society force them to respect Islam. Oh Muslims, Allah said, remember when the disbelievers plotted against you to imprison you or to kill you or to get you out from your home? They were plotting and planning and Allah too was planning. And who is the best of planners? Wallahu khairul makirin. So Muslims, when you point out and say, George Bush, Tony Blair, Jacques Chirac, blah, 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 blah. America, this one, this one, that one, so and so. Think about yourself. Think about your own condition and think what we can do to change. Let me just for a moment speak about some conditions that you should know. You see Muslims, we are all subject to globalism. You hear the word globalism. We all are carrying money in our pockets or plastic cards which is controlled by the World Bank. I don't care what kind of money you got. Plastic card, it's controlled by the World Bank. Every Muslim country that has a bank in it and every bank in the world is controlled by whom? The World Bank. Secondly, no trade, no commerce, no products, no industry moves anywhere in the world in and out except under what's called GATT. It means the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. Most Muslims don't even know what it means. And your leaders have agreed to that. Every Muslim country in the world today has signed an agreement to be under, to be subordinate to the United Nations Charter. So they have willingly accepted themselves to be subordinate to the Kufar. No matter what they say, no matter what you say. The United Nations Charter is the main universal charter for the whole world. That is the Dastur for the whole world. And our leaders, what have they done? They have said, yes. And do you know one of the main features of the United Nations Charter? Do you know the main feature of it is? The agreement that all the Muslims have agreed to? Never, ever, ever bring back Khilafah. Don't even talk about it. Can you imagine that? We Muslims is walking around with no head on our shoulder. And they have told us, don't even think about picking it up and putting it back. And our leaders have agreed not to hold any conferences about it, not to allow anybody in their country to write about it, not to allow the youth to talk about it, not to allow anybody to gather for it, let alone to work for it. And if anybody begins to work for it, they will send the Muslim leaders against you wherever you are first. Secondly, the World Health Organization is part of the United Nations and they were the ones that in 1975, they were the ones that agreed to depopulate the world by 36 million. Did you know about that? To depopulate the world by 36 million by the year 2000. World Health Organization. Do you know how they did it? One child per family in China. What they did in Pakistan, sterilization, you understand me, and the birth control, right? What they did in Africa, what they did in Asia, what they did in other places. They created 63,000 gallons of the AIDS virus. And then they put it together with the yellow fever, yellow, yellow uh, hepatitis. Together, 
and they inoculated the children all over the world, you understand me, with the yellow fever and the hepatitis and the AIDS inside it all together. And what did they do? By the year 2000, they reached their goal. How many people did they depopulate by the year 2000? 39 million. And our leaders is part of that. They're aware of it. They signed it. They were there. They were there when the, when the bill was passed. The rules of engagement says, in war, the rules of engagement says, no Muslim country has the right to develop any armaments or to have any nuclear weapons or to have an army in areas that they themselves don't know about. The Muslims must always be reporting to them. And they can have nuclear armaments and they can have missiles and tanks and uh, anti-ballistic missiles and they can have atomic submarines and they can have everything but the Muslims must not do that even if they got the money. And if they want to have that they must only get the ones which we have ourselves outdated 15 years ago. <laughs> Secondly, transnational corporations are in every Muslim country today. Before Iraq, before they invaded Iraq, 85 transnational corporations already bidded for the reconstruction of Iraq. Because it was not about Saddam, it was not about Taliban, it's not about the Shishan, it wasn't about them at all. It was about the oil in the Caspian Sea. And they agreed about that in 1973. So all of this here is just something that is happening that was already planned. But we Muslims and our leaders, we agreed to that. Oh Muslims, the regional conflicts, the ideological, the secularist, the biological warfare, the religious and political dichotomy, the, the economic exploitation, the military invasions, the technological nuclear proliferation, all of this has been planned, agreed upon, and the Muslims' hands have been tied. Now me, I don't have any solution other than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, He said what? Obedience, response, be on guard, be aware against corruption and disturbance. Allah subhanahu wa said, remember how we brought you from weakness to strength. Allah said, remember how we gave you provision when you had none. Allah said, be grateful. Allah subhanahu wa said, be loyal. Allah said, observe your amanat. Allah subhanahu wa says, watch, be careful of the fitna of the things which are halal. Your wives and your children, your husbands, your possessions. Allah subhanahu wa said that. Allah says, if you obey Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa oh Muslims, don't blame your leaders, don't blame the other leaders, but obey Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa God the prayer. Guard your nafs, control yourselves, and give your loyalty to Allah and His Messenger wasallam. Then Allah says what He will do? He will give you forgiveness. And He will give you mercy. And He will return back in your hands what He had given us before when we were called strangers at that time. O Muslims, Allah doesn't change our condition by some miracle. Allah will not change the condition just because we select somebody to be the Khilafah. Because I remind you, and I remind myself, that 80 years ago, there was Khilafah, wasn't it? Wasn't there Khilafah 80 years ago? And what kind of Khilafah it was? Corrupt, weak, 
violent, oppressive. But yes, we say as Muslims, it's better to have an oppressive khilafah, better to have a weak one, better to have a corrupt one than to have none at all. Yes, that's correct. But that will not be the solution for all of our problems. The solution for our problems is you and I. We change ourselves, Allah will give us better leadership. Allah gives us better leadership, we'll have a better chance to change the world. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we be mindful of what He has said and mindful and responsive to what our Messenger Salaam have said. We ask Allah to forgive us of our faults and our shortcomings and our sins. We ask Allah that we be more loving and kind and tolerant towards each other. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we be mindful of, of the conditions and the political and social realities of the world. And that Allah that we be mindful and grateful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of what He has given to us and that we be as he says, Be brothers. Be Muslims and brothers. Don't sit with Africans because you're African. And don't sit with Arabs because you're Arab. And don't sit with Eastern Muslims because they're Eastern Muslims. Turkish Muslims because they're Turkish Muslims. And don't sit with Asians because they're Asians. But sit with a Muslim and be with a Muslim, and eat with a Muslim, and travel with a Muslim, and do business with a Muslim. Why? Because, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً We ask Allah SWT to save us, inshallah, and to cause us to be of those who hear and who obey. We ask Allah SWT that He give us to, uh, make us of the people who are qanitin. And we ask Allah SWT that we be the people who are tawabin. <laughs> because the Prophet said, كُلُّ إِبْنَ Adam خَطَعْ وَخَيْرُ الْخَطَعِينَ Tawabin. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ittaqillah, haythu ma kuntum. Watbi'a sayyi'a bil hasana, tamhuha, wa khaliqin nas, bi khuluqin hasanin. Wa qul qawli hadha wa staghfirullah adhi wa lakum. Ya Allah, wa ghafur rahim, birahim, rahmin. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik wa nashadu wa la ilaha ila anta wa nastaghfiruk wa la tubu ilayk. I'd like to make a disclosure first to say that um, um, if I said some things which some people feel as if um, was weak or not accurate or um, lacking um, scholastic um, approach, then you have to blame the people who invited me to speak. Because I didn't ask to come, I just uh, accepted, inshallah, the invitation. And I'm speaking from the best of what I have to offer, and sometimes the best that a person has to offer uh, is still not uh, sufficient uh, in the light of people who have good knowledge, alhamdulillah. Uh, but when the questions come, I just ask you to, uh, no need to ask me a question like you would ask somebody who was here as Qadi or Mufti or Alim or Faqi, uh, because I'm neither, I'm none of those things. So you should ask a question which is relevant to something I said that perhaps maybe you didn't understand, or a question that you think perhaps maybe I could give a better explanation to. And I ask you to stay away from fiqhi questions 
and tricky questions. Um, because I'm not here to answer either of those, inshallah. Um, and if you disagree with something that I said, you don't need to voice your disagreement. You can just, uh, I will not run away, inshallah. I'll be here after everything is over with. And uh, if you want to see me outside or downstairs and tell me that uh, I had no right to say what I said or you disagreed, I don't mind that either. But I would suggest that those who disagree, you rent a hall and you get your chance to say what you want to say. Inshallah. So, um, um, if there are young people here who have a question, I'd like to give precedent to their question because they will be our future, inshallah. And uh, the sisters who have questions, uh, please send them to us, inshallah. We also will give precedent to our sisters, inshallah. Uh, I believe somebody said there's a non-Muslim here, is he? Brother, what's your name? Bernard. Huh? Bernard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, before we leave, brother, I sit with you you know, to uh, answer some particular questions that you might. And if you have a question about something I said, also we give you the precedent because um, uh, the Prophet Wasallam always when non-Muslims visited him, he gave them the best seat and he gave them precedent all the time, inshallah. Okay, brother? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, may Allah uh, reward uh, the Muslim who is concerned about other Muslims and we should be concerned about all the other Muslims. Uh, the first thing I'd just like to remind every Muslim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, He says, O you who believe, ku anfusikum, nara, ku anfusikum wa ahlikum. See, save yourselves and your families. So the first concern that every Muslim should have, although if we didn't have the TV, we wouldn't even see what's going on in the rest of the world. But we would hear. Uh, if we didn't have a TV or a radio and we didn't see or hear, we would read, read newspapers. And if we didn't watch TV or listen to a news, uh, I mean, uh, radio or read newspapers, we would hear from neighbors. The, the news would reach us about what's going on. But the, the most important consideration that every Muslim needs to do is look to himself. See what you can do to correct yourself. Reform yourself. Clean up your own act. Clean up your family. Clean up your neighborhood. Deal with the rights that your neighbors have. Deal with the group of Muslims which you are living with. Give obedience and loyalty to the leaders of the Muslims where you are. First, because if every group of Muslims where they are, 
all over the world take those steps, take care of themselves. You see, respond to the salah. Stay away from the haram. Enjoin the right, forbid the wrong. You see, control themselves, control their families. Uh, give advice to the Muslims in their area. Give advice to the Muslims in their neighborhood. Give allegiance, give obedience, and fall under the discipline of the local leadership. If the Muslims in every place did that, we'll find that our condition all over the world will change. But if every group of Muslims has got a TV or two TVs or three TVs or radio or whatever it is, just look at the news and see what's going on, we're all going to become reactionaries. And what are we reacting to? We're reacting to the button, buttons that are being pushed by the people that own the television stations. And in most cases, Muslims are marching, Muslims are shouting, Muslims are talking about, condemning, and pointing, and blaming, and cursing things that are outside their control. But the things that are within their control, they're not taken care of. So yes, we should be concerned. About the tragedy of the Muslims in the world, make dua. That's first. At night time, cry for them. Make dua for them. Collect money for them. Medicine for them, clothes for them. So my advice to the Muslims is that we should be concerned about the Muslims everywhere. Don't go to sleep without making dua about the Muslims in every place. And say by their name, O oh Allah, bless and help the Muslims who are striving for your path, who are being oppressed, and whose house is being invaded, and whose masjid is being uh, 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 knocked down. And, and so make dua for them and mention them by name and the areas where they are. But after you finish, look to yourself and see what you need to do where you are. Because if you're taking care of something, making dua and concentrating on something way away from you, a thousand miles across the earth, then you may be disregarding that which is next to you. And the Prophet said, each one of you is what? A shepherd, a custodian. And Allah will ask you about that which is under your care. The Imam or the Amir, he is the custodian of the Jama'ah or the group which he is over. And Allah will ask him about which is in his care. And the man is a custodian and a shepherd over what? Over his family. And Allah will ask him about which is under his care. And the woman, she's a custodian or a shepherdess of her family and her husband's absence, huh? And Allah will ask her about what? What is under her care. So let's everybody take care of what's under their care first. Then after we take care of what's in our, under our d direct care, let's start seeing who, we, who else we can care about. And for the other Muslims, as we make saying the salah, we say, At-tahiyyatu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibat. As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadullahi salihin. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Wa ashadu anna muhammad abduhu wa rasooluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we make a dua for all the Muslims every time we pray anyway. But we should make more in uh, relationship to the situation my brother, he just mentioned, inshallah. May Allah reward you for you. Allah knows best. Yes, Saqib. Uh, there tends to be like a dual kind of community amongst Muslims. That there's one level of Muslims that frequent the masjids and they go to circles and they have a community amongst themselves. And there's another level of community that don't really cross uh, the path of the other. They're in the streets or where they're in the parks or wherever they are. 
So do you have any kind of practical tips or advice about how you can make that connection between them? We need to advise the leaders. It's, that's the, it's, their, it's, their, it's, their, it's their fault. The leaders of the Muslims are responsible for every group of the Muslims, aren't they? Now, we don't say blame them. I didn't say blame the leaders now. I said we need to advise them because the Prophet said, Adina Nasiha, right? Lillahi, Wali Kitabihi, Wali Aimatul Muslimin, what? And Wa'amatihim. So we have to advise the leaders that there are Muslims that you see every day, and there are Muslims you see every Jum'ah. And there are Muslims you see on the aid. But the majority of the Muslims, they're in the streets and you don't see them, Imam. What about them? How do we get to them? How we deal with them? Because Allah is going to ask those elitists, they are mas'ulun, Imam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's going to ask them about all the Muslims, not just those that come to the prayer. Because if you remember, Umar ibn al-Khattab, and we take our example from whom? From the Prophet Sallallahu and from whom? The first three generations, right? What did Umar ibn Khattab do? Did, what, did he rely only upon ordering those Muslims and, and joining the right and forbidding the wrong for the Muslims who came to the mosque? No. Umar ibn Khattab used to get up in the morning time after he prayed, what did he do? He went into the suq and he walked and he checked and he confronted and he looked and he talked to. And then in, at the night time, after the Salat al-Isha, before he went home to sleep with his family, what did he do? He walked through the neighborhood, and he listened, and he asked different people if there's any complaints which they had, and he took those complaints, and the next day, those complaints, he called those people to the court, isn't he? That's the duty of the leaders, not just to be here, lead the, lead the salah, and after that, go home and eat their food. So we Muslims have to advise the leadership, and the leadership have to advise us, and all of us are going to be uh, answerable before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could. There should be no divisions of the Muslims. We are all responsible for each other to enjoin the right and forbid the wrong wherever it is. And that's the pr problem with the Muslims that those who come to the masjid, on the way to the masjid, if they see a piece of, if they see a piece of dirt in the street, they don't pick it up because they go, they're going to the mosque. If they see their brother selling haram in the store, they don't say anything to him, they just go into the mosque. So we're not concerned about the neighbors. We ain't concerned about the shopkeeper. We ain't concerned about the dirt that's in the street. We ain't concerned about my brother's children. He jumping and breaking cars around the corner because they're Muslims. We ain't saying nothing about them. That's then Allah tell us then when we are not concerned and we don't enjoin the right and we don't uh, we don't enjoin the right and we don't forbid the wrong, then Allah will visit us with a calamity from Himself so that when we ask for help, we won't get it, huh? We ask for protection, we won't get it. And when some people that he sends from his creatures humiliate us and we ask for help, we won't get it. So this is how we gotta we gotta be concerned as Muslims about every little thing, brothers. And it's a shame that there's so many Muslims in this area who come and go to the mosque, but the area is so filthy. Now don't blame me, don't say Khalid, but you what right you got to come here and say that. But this is my mosque. This is my mosque. And it's unfortunate that most of the mosques here in the UK, they are filthy. This happens to be a cleaner mosque. I'm talking about the inside. Because the Muslims, they, they are at least concerned about the inside of the mosque. But what happens when you hit the street? What do the sidewalks look like? What do the neighborhood look like? 
The Muslim areas are supposed to be the cleanest areas, the safest areas, right? The most decent areas, the most dignified areas. If somebody wants to come to the area where they know they can spend their money and be safe, what area they should come to? Huh? So you see, brothers and sisters, we have to change the way we think about Islam. Because if your neighbors and the people think that the areas that you live in are provocative areas, disorderly areas, dirty areas, and only areas for the Muslims, then we're the wrong Muslims. And that's the problem. You got the, you got the, you got the Asian areas. You got the Arab areas. Subhanallah. I came to this city and the first place somebody took me was Edgware Road. I could not believe it. It was the worst area. Prostitutes. Walking up and down the streets. For who? It's for Muslims. Drug sellers right there, up and down, and everybody on the side of the road smoking the hubbly bubbly. <laughs> Muslims. And young boys, young girls, young Asians, young Arabs, all up and down the street, go down there Friday night, Saturday night, and see all the young Muslims down there. What are they doing down there? Boys looking for girls, girls looking for boys. In what area? The Muslim area. Go to, go to East London, see the same thing, the Muslim area. So brothers and sisters, me, these is my people. And so if I'm blaming somebody, I'm blaming myself. I'm saying, let's take care of our areas. Let's take care of our families. Let's bring dignity and honor to ourselves by what we do outside the mosque, not just what we do inside the mosque. Wallahu a'lam. And there is a recent question here which we'll take. Assalamu alaikum, Please give advice to young and unmarried brothers on how to best deal with temptation of haram, especially when the Western women will almost naked. Well, first of all, the Prophet said each one of you should prepare yourselves for marriage. Preparing yourself for marriage means go get a job. That's number one. Now you say, well, there ain't no jobs. I say there is a job. Go get you a bucket of go get you a bucket of bleach and a rag and a squeegee. You know what squeegee is. A sponge. And go all up and down the streets where all the marketplaces is at and just start washing windows. Don't even ask the man, can you wash it? Just wash the window and just be smiling and all that. After you finish washing it, making it nice and clean, then go inside and say, Salam alaikum, Sheikh. Salam alaikum, mister. Or how you feel? So and so. My name is Abdullah. I'm going to wash your windows uh, every other day for you. Don't worry about it. I'll see you. And you keep doing like that. He don't mind your windows clean. One day he's going to give you a pound or two pounds. So you wash a hundred windows a day and you only get a pound from 20 people. How much you made that day? 20 pounds. 30, 30 days, how much you made that week? That, 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 huh? Do you think sisters who are also looking for husbands would not mind a brother who's making 600 a month besides what he get on uh, the dole? <laughs> So one, I tell the young brothers, man, get a job. Don't say there ain't no job. Make a job. The Muslim is not a man who stands on the line waiting for somebody to give him a job. The Prophet said, out of the, the, the ten portions that give the, of halal portions of life given to Bani Adam, he said nine-tenths of it in what? Commerce and trade. That's why the companions of the Prophet, they chose trade and commerce. That was their favorite thing to do. So Muslim, 
Get you 20 pounds to go buy some socks. Get you something to go do something, clean the streets, wash cars, do the windows. There's so many things that a Muslim can do if he get up for Fajr and start out after Fajr. You're going to find something to do other than beg or sleep. But most of the young brothers can't find a wife because they can't take care of no wife. And most of the young sisters can't find no husband because they don't want to obey no husband. So the first thing you got to do is, if you're looking for a wife, be qualified for one. Because the man is qualified, he's going to find one. For me, if I want a wife, I can find four right now. <laughs> I might have some problems. But a wife ain't no problem, brothers. I'm telling you, right here in the UK, the statistics are that for every man, not male, man, for every man that's qualified, there is at least eight, nine women. Eight or nine. Because you got homosexuals, they ain't qualified. <laughs> you got derelicts, they're not qualified. You got criminals in the jail, they're not qualified. You got playboys, wanna be, wanna be, they don't want no, no wives, they want girlfriends, they ain't qualified. Then you got those that's in war, they in the army, they ain't coming back, they ain't qualified. So you already, that's, that's five that's eliminated right there. And it's already one and a half women that's born for every man. So what is that? That's six and a half right there. Now you think there ain't no women out there to marry? There are plenty of them to marry. And about those women that ain't dressed right, the sisters need to give them shahada. And if the sisters don't give them shahada, you need to lower your gaze and give them shahada. Because if you can't find a Muslim sister to marry, make a Muslim and then marry them. But don't say there ain't no women available to marry. And if you can't find none, the Prophet also said fast. And fast as much as you can. Fast as you can. That's what you have to do. But really and honestly, it's a shame that the men who have wives don't get together and rent a hall and invite all the sisters to come with their walis and all the brothers who want to get married to come with their CVs and their witnesses. <laughs> And call the shakes to tell us how to do it. I mean, we ain't gonna have no dancing, singing. We gonna have no, 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 no hand holding. We're not gonna do that. We are gonna facilitate brothers and sisters who, if they, we don't facilitate it for them in the open, you know what they're gonna do anyway. And they doing it. All you gotta do is go to them areas that you guys know, and you see them right or wrong. In the universities, acting like they sitting down for lunch, you know what's going on. And we're losing some of our sisters, some of these kaffirs, some of these buzzards, these predators. It's taking our sisters. Why? Because fathers, they waiting for somebody to come from Bangladesh to marry their daughter. And she don't want to marry nobody from Bangladesh. And she waiting for five, six years for somebody to come who you think she should marry a cousin or somebody. Meanwhile, one of them predators got her. And the brothers, they don't talk about it. Fathers and uncles whose daughters get pregnant, fathers and daughters, who, uh, daughters, fathers and uncles whose daughters get penetrated, they don't talk about it. But you know what's going on, brothers and sisters. So don't lie and don't play games and don't pretend because Allah, he's the Noah. We got to give these young sisters away. If the brother only have a date and a promise of a job, if they're too young, 
Let the young brother marry your daughter and bring them both and let them live in your house. If the young sister, you know, if she's young, then let the young brother marry her and live in their house. So what's the, what you, what you rather have? You rather have them be young and irresponsible under your, under your supervision or young and irresponsible under no supervision? Which one is better? The Prophet said when your daughters get the age of menstruation, and you know what it is. When they get to that age, what did he say do? Make preparations to marry them. Y'all waiting to eight, they be 18, 21 till they graduate from school? You're crazy. And you talking about these young boys, you want, they're going to wait till they're 18, 19, 20, 25 till they get married? They've all been polluted. They've all been penetrated. If they didn't go directly to it, they have imagined it. And they're going on the internet. And I'm telling you, they're fornicating on the internet. Brothers and sisters is fornicating on the internet. Now, they ain't doing the actual thing, but they going inside them chat rooms and they penetrating your daughter's ear and they penetrating her heart and they penetrating her mind. And so penetration is penetration. So let's be real about it, brothers. Get these sisters married and get these young boys married because for every brother that's in here, there's about three, four young girls that's out there. What's the problem? We the problem. And Allah knows best. The question is, what would you say... To the people who say that enjoining good and forbidding evil is a preserve of the scholars? Yeah, that's not true. The enjoining the right, Amr al-Ma'ruf al-Nahir al is not the duty of the scholars, it's the duty of all the Muslims. And the spreading of knowledge is not just the, it's the spreading of the, by the scholars, it's the spreading of... Uh, uh, the Prophet said, بَلِّغُ عَنِّي Teach what you have. Each one, teach one. Each one, give. And the Prophet said, if any one of us is walking and you see a munkar, what should you do? If you got the heart, the means, the strength, the conviction, stop it with your hands. Don't wait for nobody. There was companions of the Prophet who had that kind of heart. They saw a man that was doing something that was wrong. They stopped him. They wouldn't call the Khalifa. What kind of men are we? That right inside our neighborhood, you see guys is selling drugs? Right inside our neighborhood? Could you, could you understand that Bradford, the city of Bradford, is the most populated city in the UK, isn't it? Of a small city, in terms of its ratio of Muslims that live in it. <laughs> the, the densest, most populous ratio of Muslims in the UK, Bradford. The most drugs and the most prostitution, the most alcohol, Bradford. And who's selling it? Muslims. Yet, all the Muslims that pray and all the scholars and all the masjids that built in Bradford, do you think that they go out and try to stop it? They don't stop it. They leave them alone because that's their countrymen. So that's why the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it come down, it come upon the leaders themselves, the leaders, the adults, the men, the ones that don't do it, the ones that go and pray, Allah bring the wrath on us also. We have to join the right and forbid the wrong, each one of us, brothers, and don't blame the leader because usually, if you got weak leaders or corrupt leaders or oppressive leaders, Allah usually gives us the leaders that we deserve. Wallahu a'lam. Okay, this is a comment. It says, uh, the comment is regarding translating the word rub into Lord. Preferred uh, if the term rub was used, even if there were non Muslims present, gradually they will. Understand this is due to the fact that Lord is not a very appropriate word when referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word is used 
for non-Muslims, for example, House of Lords, Lord of Bishops, Ladies and Gay Lords. Uh, you know, if people, if people, um, if people pollute, deviate, uh, misconstrue a word that's used, it don't mean that we have to use another word. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, in the Arabic language, the person that owns a house is called Rabbul Bayt. Isn't it? How many Arabs live in here? Is in here? Is it correct? The person that owns a house is called what? Sahibul Bayt or Rabbul Bayt. But in the Arabic language, when we say Rabbul Bayt, we don't, it doesn't have anything to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the owner. He's the owner, he's the controller of that house. Rabbul Bayt. Now, yeah, we could say sustainer, we could say controller, but if English means lord, sustainer, owner, controller, then this is an appropriate word. But if, if uh, any person who is uh, commanding the English language has a, the ability to, to use other words from the thesaurus he think might be less misleading, he can do that. But if somebody says, Rabb, all praise due to Allah, Rabbul Alameen, Lord of the heavens and the earth, certainly that is a different Lord than the Rabbul Bayt. Wallahu a'lam. Um, the brother was wondering about, like he wants to get married. The right way. The right way of doing it. Uh, again, this is, alhamdulillah, this is a question of fiqh. Uh, um, but essentially, it's a very simple issue for us to, to approach. Uh, any, one of the, any one of the students of knowledge here, any one of the responsible people here will tell us that if a man wants to get married, he should make, his, uh, he should make that known to his parents or to his family members. Uh, and then they will uh, try to make contact with others who might be appropriate, uh, available for him. Um, and then if a candidate comes about, uh, uh, then uh, th he should go in the way uh, which the sunnah tells us to go and not to go directly to the sister. Uh, the brothers should not just go directly to women. Uh, and sisters should not go directly to men. It's better for them if they go through some ways, unless sisters themselves are independent and uh, nothing uh, wrong with a sister if she knows a man that she is attracted to, if she's uh, of the proper age, she can write and communicate as Khadija radiallahu anha, she did with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi So the, the thing is that the Muslim should fear Allah and respect the adab, the proper behavior. And if he doesn't know the proper behavior, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلِ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of the dhikr. Who is that? The people of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And uh, there are books which you can go to. If you go to Bulugh al-Maram, go to the Bab al-Nikah, uh, and other good books, you will see the procedure that one should go through, inshallah. But if your man fears Allah, and he's dignified and decent, <laughs> and he goes in the, the right way following his heart, not his desires, but following the issues of adab, inshallah, Allah subhanahu will be pleased with the, the way he goes about it. The other thing is, uh, a man should seek a witness, somebody who knows him, Somebody who will be responsible for introducing him. And if he does that, that person should also be responsible for advising him. And Allah, he knows best, inshallah. <coughs> My question is about parents and for the parents. Well, uh, according to these marriages, uh, most of the parents, they, they go into deep uh, details for race, money, and all those stuff. Which is, I think it's not... It's not necessary. Marriages don't take place because of races, languages, <coughs> money, 
nationality. I don't know what to say, but what do you have to say about you? You said it. It's, 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 it's Jahiliya. Uh, most of the Muslims today is governed, their decisions is governed by Jahiliya. Uh, the Prophet said, what, what kind of woman that we can marry? But what did he say the best? The character and for deen. Also, if a man is looking for a husband for his daughter, there's nothing wrong for an Arab to prefer an Arab for his daughter. There's nothing wrong about that. Why? Because that's the language. That's the, just a moment, let me finish. That's the language. Nothing wrong if a man is from Bangladesh, she wants a Bengali. Look for it. Nothing wrong. Not just for that, because generally speaking, people will look for people of their own familiarity and culture because Allah said, لِتَعْرَفُ Right? But the, the, but the insistence upon tribalism, uh, insistence upon racism, the insistence upon a certain class, money, intellectuality, the insistence upon familiarity, the insistence upon that is from the Jahiliyyah. And what will happen, it will minimize the candidacy for the brother and minimize the candidacy for the sister. And what usually happens when you minimize it, you create an oppression upon them. And that oppression usually creates upon them a deviation. And that deviation usually creates upon them a tendency to do what? To violate. So, I would advise the brothers and sisters, the elders among our community, uh, to modify your demands regarding your sons and daughters and deal with the social political realities. For me, I, I'm preferring for my daughter to marry someone who can speak the English language. But if I can't find somebody with some sense, I mean this kind of sense and this kind of sense, and somebody with some taqwa and some knowledge, if I can't find them want to speak the English language, then he can speak Bengali, he can speak Arabic, he can speak uh, uh, whatever language he speaks if he's a Muslim and my daughter will be a candidate for him. But nothing wrong with me preferring for my daughter someone that has some familiarity with our family and our customs and all of that because customs is not wrong as long as those customs do not override Islam. Wallahu a'lam. Well, over here we've got a dilemma that if uh, recently what happened was one of my friends, he wanted to marry a girl, but his parents were, didn't want that just because of race. They were the same nationality, but they were a different race. The, what happened was... I understand what happened. He, I understand, brother. I understand. But look, this is... Aki, but look, look. Aki, this condition exists all over the world, brother, and we have to decide whether we are obedient. See, there is no obedience. Let me give you the rule in the Islam. Huh? No obedience to any creature, to makhluk, if it involves disobedience to al-khaliq. Is that the rule? No obedience to makhluk if it involves disobedience to al-khaliq. So if my parents order me to do something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told me not to do, if my parents order me to do something which the Prophet said don't do that, I don't have to obey them, not in that issue, but I still have to respect them, but I have to tell them. Allah said this, O my father, you know, like Ibrahim salam, when he spoke to his father about his actions, he didn't—he was not arrogant, was he? What he, how he addressed his father? Yeah, abati. You see, so even you and I should say to our mothers and fathers, "Listen, I love you, and I'm obligated to obey you in almost everything you ask me to do." But in this issue here, this is against the Sunnah. 
And this issue, this is, this is un-Islamic. There's nothing in the Qur'an to say I should do that. You should not try to force me to do that. You should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about what you are forcing me to do. And inevitably, when they want to force you and insist upon it, you have to resist it and say to them, I cannot do that. Because if I please you, I will displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if I obey you, I will be disobeying Allah and His Messenger sallallahu And if they want to put you out, you'll be put out like other people was put out. This is a decision that every brother and sister who is an adult has to make. Now, if you're not an adult, they will be responsible for forcing you to do something which you was forced to do. That was the hadith I gave uh, at the end of the lecture. And Allah he knows the best, inshallah. Uh, just to draw your attention, probably, I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, coming back to the issue of um, getting married, um, I mean, sadly, I have to deal with it myself in a few opportunities with some brothers. Uh, there was an issue where, especially concerning the girls getting married, I think there is an issue developing here is the fact that everyone wants to carry on studies. And it's coming from the view of the parents as well, as well as the girls. So when you start explaining the sustainer is Allah and everything, they start talking, what about if I divorce? What about if there has been something happened, then I need to go to work, then I need to do this, then I need to do these sort of things. <laughs> And that's why I thought I'll, I'll bring it forward. Jazakallah khayna. Barakallah fiqh. No, no, I, yeah, yeah. The, the, the brother's, uh, uh, the sheikh's um, uh, comment here was the danger of the tendency towards fathers, uh, uncles, brothers, and women themselves to prefer carrying on studies as opposed to the obligation of marriage on the pretext or on the pretense, that is, that uh, they should go ahead and get, they should, they should finish their studies so that they can be sort of independent and have their own money and that in case something happens with the husband or whatever they will be able to support themselves and so forth and so on. Well this whole idea of women becoming independent of men is un-Islamic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الرِّجَالُ كَوَامُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ The daughter, if she, has, if she doesn't go to school at all, we should want our children, our daughters, to be taught. But we don't want our daughters to be bought. You see, bought. That means they have been purchased. They have been influenced. They have been robbed. They have been penetrated. They have been, they have been diverted. And inside their minds, they become independent of their families. And they also, inside their minds, by the time they get the piece of paper, they want to go get a job of their own, and they don't want the husband to tell them what to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So the woman should seek to be under her father. And the father is not there, under the uncle. The uncle is not there, her brother. If the father, the uncle, the brother is not there, she should be seeking to develop her skills as a mother and a wife to be what? under the protection of a husband. Because the woman who want to go get educated just for the sake of education, for, to be independent, chances are when she get to that point, she want to be her own qayyim. She also wants, she want to be her own kawam. Allah didn't say, and then, and then we see the situation today, what had happened? An-nisa kawamunna ala rijal. This society here, 
is developing women to become over the men in the decision making process. She have her own bank account, huh? She make her own decision, she get her own apartment, she get her own check, she have her own responsibility, and even if she get married, she tell the man, look, this is my money, this is your money, this is my house, this is my keys, this is your keys, this so and so, so and so, this and that, and so and so, and don't tell me what to do. The kids, I go to court, I so and so, this so. So we're making dysfunctional women. We're separating them, we're cultivating them to disobey their fathers. We're cultivating them to disrespect their families. We're cultivating them to disrespect their husbands, and they don't want to obey the husband except in the bed. Because they will have more money if, he, if she got more money than him. She got a job, he ain't got a job. She ain't, she ain't gonna let him spend her money. If she got an education, he don't have an education, she ain't gonna let, listen to him. So the only time she's gonna listen to him is at night when the lights is off. This is a, it's a fiqh question, but uh, uh, and, and alhamdulillah, um, the, the Sheikh uh, Suhaib has dealt with this in one of his booklets. I read it myself, mashallah. And uh, the scholars today have also dealt with that subject. And the Prophet already gave us hadith about that, and the companions of the Prophet already dealt with that. You see, if a sister, she wants to uh, go to Hajj, and she has no wali from her family, no one that can escort her. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, he gave a, a very good fatwa on this issue, and he supported it with his own, with, with Dila'il from Quran and from the Sunnah. If a woman has no wali uh, from her family, natural person to go with her, she can travel with a group of ladies who themselves has mahram, and there is a wali for that group, she can travel with them, because then she is protected, and she will not be in khalwa with anybody, and also she will be, she will be protected, and also she will not be uh, by herself. So there's a provision for that. However, if anyone wants to be very restrictive to his own madhab, then you follow, the, you follow the ruling of your own madhab, if that's what you want to do, if you're a muqallid, and Khalid is not suggesting to anybody to jump outside his madhab or jump outside the boat or whatever it is. Uh, but if you're looking for dalil, this, uh, this subject has been dealt with with very good dalil, inshallah. Uh, uh, because what is hajj and umrah is something which is wajib or it is fard. And always we have to find a way to do what is wajib and fard with the least amount of harm or evil that might be attached to it. But we have to do it, isn't it? Wallahu a'lam. أشرقت نفسي بنور من فؤادي حينما رددت يا رب العباد. Gonna give you an example that wallahi I don't know an example in the dunya that is clear as this example in proving this point. Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. Of Usam ibn Zayd radiallahu anhu. The Muslims were fighting Kufar, and there was one warrior from the Kufar who was taking care of business. He was getting down on the battlefield. When he was taking care of business, the Muslims, the companions said, Look, 
tomorrow, somebody has to deal with that guy. Someone has to make it his business just to go and deal with that guy. And we're going to get everyone else. Usami ibn Uzayr said, who will he? I'll deal with him. I'll take care of him. And another companion. They went to the guy the next day and they overpowered him. One narration said Usama had his sword. Another narration said he had a spear. He overpowered him and he got ready to kill him. And, and so Allah continues. So I saw Aisha radiallahu reciting this verse. And so I went away and she was crying and I left her crying. And I came back after many, many hours. I came back after many, many hours. And I passed by her again. And she was still reciting the same verse. فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا وَوَقَانَا عَذَابَ السَّمُومِ And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the great bounty and saved us from the terrible torment. My brothers, have you heard of the story of Malik bin Dinar? The story of Malik bin Dinar, he used to stay up all night imploring to Allah, grabbing his beard and saying, Ya Allah, Indeed, you know who will go to the hellfire, and you know, O oh Allah, who will go to paradise. O oh Allah, I implore you, which, which of these groups am I in? O oh Allah, I ask you, which of these groups am I in? SubhanAllah, it is exactly opposite to what the way the, some of the Sahaba used to think and act. Ibn Amr, Ibn Amr radiallahu anhu, he wanted, he put, set high goals for himself. And he wanted to worship Allah so much that he did not even want to approach his young wife. He was very young and his wife was very young. Both of them were in their teens at that time. <coughs> Maybe 15, 16, 17. At this age, Ibn Am did not want to approach his wife or do anything that would take him away from obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipping him. So he wanted to read Quran and finish it every day. The whole Quran. He wanted to pray the whole night long. All night long. He wanted to fast every single day. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, no. Don't do this. There is, inna Your body has a right on you. And your wife has a right on you. So, you have to give every one of these, they're right. So he said, he said, don't, don't fast more than three days every month. He said, oh Allah's message, I can do more. See, a young man is asking for... Civilization and development as a new source of energy. And so Afghanistan and Iraq and others was already set 15 years ago. It had nothing to do with Saddam. That was just convenient. And now we found out. You see, dead fish swim and the live ones keep, I mean, the dead fish float and stink and the live ones keep swimming. Now we find out there was no weapons of mass destruction. They still looking for them, but now they've accepted that there are none. But they say, well, we're sorry about that, but we were still justified in going in there. Okay. Well, how many lives, how many lives were, were taken in that exercise that only lasted, by the way, it only lasted for 34 days, the actual exercise, 34 days. How many lives? 51,000 lives. 
Oh, close to the same amount of lives that were lost in the Vietnam War by Americans over a period of seven years. Now you tell me, 58,000 American lives that were lost in the Vietnam War, a war that they lost, and 51,000 lives of Muslims, Iraqis, that were, that were lost in 34 days. You think that's justice? Just to get one man? Even if you're in there, my brothers, death will catch up to you. Wherever you are, you cannot hide from it. If you can't hide from it, if you can't hide from it, then you must prepare for it. Then you must prepare for it. You see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that death catch up with every one of us. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not die, so therefore creation must die.